So we'll welcome a special guest uh, preacher this morning, a friend of mine, Rochella Parman. Rochella is a wife to Jack and a mom to Will and Preston and Lee. Um, uh, Rochella has been a leader and a friend um, and an important part of the Gathering Church, which uh, is the church body that planted us um, from pretty much the very beginning, right? Uh, and uh, some things that I've learned from Rochella, some of her passions that uh, come through whenever you talk to her, and I'm sure will come through today, are um, spiritual formation would have to be, like that's, if you ask anyone at the Gathering Church, anyone that knows Rochelle, that you know that she's passionate about people um, becoming more and more uh, formed in the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Um, knowing um, who God is and what God's done in their lives, uh, reflecting that, be becoming an icon and, and something that people can look through and see God. Um, and, and so that passion has, and the, those gifts um, have been utilized uh, quite well in her association with a, an organization uh, that she sits on the board of named Renovare. Um, which provides uh, resources to uh, local churches all over the world for spiritual formation. Um, some of the, the names um, of people um, involved in that organization are people like um, the late uh, Dallas Willard and Richard Foster, uh, John Ortberg and Eugene Peterson. The, those types of folks are the names that keep coming up. And, and, and Rochella um, is, is right in the middle of, of, of those great minds and godly people. Uh, so first I'm going to invite uh, Brian Manchester to come up and read our scripture from uh, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and then we'll in invite Rochelle to come up. Feel free to follow along. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. I'm so glad, glad to be with you this morning. There we go, down to the level where I can reach it. As Chris said, he and I have known each other a long time. In fact, I had the very singular privilege of being one of the leaders of the gathering church who um, got to lay hands on Chris as he was ordained into the ministry. And if my memory serves me correctly, on the very same day as Chris's ordination, I also hosted 
at my home um, a baby shower for Noah. So <laughs> that was five years ago. By the way, if anyone's interested, I have photographic evidence of his ordination. Talk to me later and I can show you a picture of what your pastor looked like when he was ordained. I'm grateful to be with you this morning to get to talk about what Jesus says as he concludes this famous passage wherein he teaches his followers how to talk to God. They had asked him, Luke tell, tells us that his followers said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? They had seen him praying. They knew that he talked to the Lord. They knew he had a special connection. And they said, would you teach us to do that? Will you teach us to pray? And he did. It's recorded for us. The version that we recite usually is the one found in Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And you know it. You know these words. The very end of that prayer are sometimes omitted from manuscripts. In fact, when Luke records this prayer, they're not there at all. But, but in some of the manuscripts of Matthew, you find this statement. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And those might sound familiar to you, those words just might sound familiar to you, particularly if you are like me, a history buff, and you like to read the history of the people of God. You'll remember that in the Old Testament, the, book of, uh, the books of the kings recounted the history of Israel, and, and those were written really for the benefit of the people of Israel when they were in exile. The book that comes right after that is the same story, really, told a different way. These are the chronicles, and these are the words given to Israel to the restored nation of Israel. And in chapter 29 of First Chronicles, we have recorded for us the instance of David gathering the materials for the building of the temple. And we know that David wasn't actually going to get to build the temple. That task would pass to his son. But David gathered, both from his own treasuries and from those of the various peoples of Israel, all these wonderful riches for the building of the temple. And then he is just overcome. He has a moment of just being stunned at the goodness of God. And here's what he says from 1 Chronicles 29. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O oh Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Sound familiar? Very much like the words that are recorded for us at the end of the Lord's Prayer. This is this bit of worship, we might call it a doxology. 
is what springs from a grateful heart. And I want us to think of it as a fitting conclusion to what you've been studying for the past several weeks, that Lord's Prayer. I want you to think of it in terms of really a restatement of what Jesus has been teaching his followers about God throughout the rest of the prayer. So if you think about it, as Jesus taught his followers to pray, he was revealing to them the character of the one to whom they pray. There are underlying assumptions in every one of those statements of the Lord's Prayer. Dear Father, our Father, which art in the heavens. That very first statement, Jesus tells them this is their Father, not just his Father, but their Father in the heavens that is right there with them. Hallowed be thy name. Treasured, holy, praised, loved is the name of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We learn that God has a kingdom. And on earth, apparently, is the one place within God's kingdom where his will is not always done. His kingdom is much vaster than our world, but for now, his will is not always done on earth. And so we pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, we learn there that the Lord is able to provide for us. And because we ask that he give us this day our daily bread, we learn that he is trustworthy that he can provide, and that he will provide. That we can trust him to provide today, but we don't have to hoard because we'll be able to trust that he will provide tomorrow. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We learn there that God is holy, that it is possible for us to do what he does not approve of, and that we can come to him and ask for forgiveness of those things. And in turn then, other people may sin against us and we will forgive them. So we learn that God is holy, we, not so much, but we learn from him how we're to interact with each other. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another vote of no confidence, really, for, for ourselves, right? Please, Lord, lead us not into temptation, because frankly, we're not up to the task. But we know that you are, that you can rescue us, and that you will rescue us, so we're trusting you. These are the underlying assumptions of this prayer that Jesus taught his followers. He gave his followers as a model. And then to sum it up, we have this statement that really is a restatement of all that he has just taught. For yours, O Lord, is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. So let's look for just a little bit there about what Jesus is saying about God. First, I want to think for a moment how it is that Jesus can say this. Why does Jesus have this insight? Who is Jesus that he would know about God and be able to share that with us? Well, you know the answer. Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. From everlasting to everlasting, there has been this sweet community. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus can tell us about God what no one else could tell us because he knows God best. In fact, he is God come to live among us. Glory, that last word there, glory, that Jesus shares with us, that word is hard to define. If you ever tried to define glory, I, I really think that it's akin to trying to define beauty. Go ahead, define beauty. Define goodness. It's, it's not like defining table, right? This, this is not a concrete noun that I can say this is it. This is exactly what it looks like. You will not find a picture of glory in the encyclopedia beside the word. But we have some descriptions of it. Glory is that, that, that what attends the majesty and goodness of God. We might think of it as, as a light, but it's not light. We might think of it as fire. It's not fire. It is more, really, than we can imagine, but it's what God possesses. We know a little about glory from the scriptures. Think, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? We know that in Isaiah, in that description of when Isaiah saw the Lord, you remember, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his royal throne, high and as exalted. And what did the attendants of the Lord say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and, say it with me, the earth is full of his glory, right? But then from Habakkuk we know, Habakkuk tells us of a time when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters fill the sea. The earth is already full of his glory, maybe not with the knowledge of his glory, but we look forward to that time. And then in the New Testament, the word glory is used over and over, always of that which attends the Lord. And it is the word that's used as it talks about our own development 
as followers of the Lord, that says that we are changed from glory into glory. We behold the Lord with ever-increasing glory. The glory of the Lord is not something that we can currently behold. Why? It would destroy us. Do you remember the story when Moses asked to see God's glory? You remember, if not, dial back in your mind to maybe to Cecil B. DeMille, the Ten Commandments. Moses is hanging out on the mountain with God, and he said, let me see your glory. What does God answer? Hang on just a minute. I'll, I'll hide you behind this rock, and then my glory will pass by. Remember that? We are not yet to the point where we can behold the Lord's glory without being consumed by it. But we are being turned into people who will someday be able to behold his glory. We see in a glass darkly now, Paul tells us. Later we'll see him face to face. We'll be able to stand the glory of God one day. Well, what about power? As much as we might long to see glory, what about power? I'll tell you what about power. Power scares us, doesn't it? Because we have seen the results of power in the hands of the wrong person. And that frightens us, doesn't it? As I look back over this political season in our country, I think that's really what it comes down to. We're, we're frightened at the very idea of power in the hands of someone who is not prepared to wield it responsibly. How many of you have wanted to retreat a little bit to your Marvel comics and send Spider-Man as an emissary? A reminder that with great power comes great responsibility. Am I right? But power, though it frightens us, belongs to God. And we have witness of that throughout all of human history. The power that spoke this world into being the power that breathed light into image bearers. The power that worked in Jesus while he walked on the earth. The power that raised him from the dead. That same power is now at work in us. We are not changed from glory to glory under our own steam. This is the power of the Lord. This is the power that is wielded by the Holy Spirit of the Lord. And I don't think it's an accident that the metaphors used throughout the Bible to understand the Holy Spirit are things that scare us. The power of the Lord is likened to wind and fire and rushing water. 
those are all things that we tend to insure ourselves against, right? But that is the power of God. Glory belongs to God. Power belongs to God. And the kingdom. You've talked about kingdom, I know, already in your series on the Sermon on the Mount. But just to recap, what do we mean when we say, thine is the kingdom? My friend Dallas Willard used to like to explain it very simply. He would say that the kingdom of the Lord is simply the range of God's effective will. It is where what God wants done is done. So we pray for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You all have prayed that his will would be done in Durham as it is in heaven, right? When I think about the kingdom of God, the fact that the Lord reigns, this is a fact. Like it or not, God is the ruler. Our hearts are the place where we get to choose whether God will rule. Each one of us, made in the image of God, is also a ruler of sorts. In fact, we, we know that we're being trained to one day rule with him. Right now, our dominions may be very, very small. Perhaps the smallest dominion you can have is over your own body. In fact, this is what is, with increasing degrees, depending on severity, that's what's taken away from prisoners, right? To some degree, rule over their own bodies might be withheld from a prisoner. In times of torture, for instance, perhaps of prisoners of war, in the worst stories, we know that attempts were made to remove any, any semblance of rule over one's own body. And the retention of that knowledge, of that dominion, is the one thing that can sustain a human being even through the worst of circumstances. So when we pray, thy will be done on earth, thy will be done in Durham, as it is in heaven, I pray, Lord, thy will be done in my house on Bristol Road. I got to bring it a whole lot closer than just in Durham. Lord, thy will be done in my closet where I struggle. To know what fits in the kingdom. My job is to bring my little kingdom into his kingdom. And whatever I have say over, I now trust Jesus. What did Jesus 
do. He made the kingdom available. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus throughout his teachings. And what does he say over and over? Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about what you're doing. Stop the way you're living as if it didn't matter. And understand the kingdom of the heavens is right here. It was right there because Jesus brought it to us. The kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting, you understand. It always existed. But in Jesus, it is made available. And now you can be part of it. And you can bring your dominion. Whatever it is that you rule. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's how you conduct your person. Maybe it's your nuclear family. But we all have a kingdom that we can now bring under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ who is God. Christ the King. Who will rule forever and ever. And so his work in us is to turn us into the kind of people who can be trusted with power and who can behold his glory. One day we will rule with him and we need to become like him. Jesus came and lived among us and showed what a person who can be trusted with power and who can behold the glory of God looks like. And now you have the opportunity to trust him to do what he said, to love as he loved. And you do that by making your kingdom part of his. But there's another word here, I think, that's important for you right here, Oak Church. This is more, I think, than a call for each of us individually to bring our kingdoms into the kingdom of God. This is a call for you as a church. <laughs> to be an outpost of that kingdom. And I came to have a little more, little more understanding of this recently from an unlikely source. I'll tell you the story. My husband is here with me. Our oldest son is now a um, United States Naval officer. 
He is a student naval aviator, which means that he is learning to fly planes that will one day land on an aircraft carrier. This is scary to the mother, just FYI. But I learned something about aircraft carriers that fascinates me. As it turns out, an aircraft carrier I knew was sometimes called a floating city. Thousands of people live and work on an aircraft carrier. But what I did not know was that no matter where it is in international waters, an aircraft carrier is four and a half acres of sovereign territory. The aircraft carrier for the United States flies the flag of the United States of America. And so it is space where it is just like being right here in Durham in that it is part of the United States of America. Why is this done? What we usually think of is for the projection of power, right? Aircraft carriers exist because there might be a problem someday where we need people from the United States of America to answer a call somewhere else, right? And rather than fly people all the way from these shores to wherever in the world they're needed, they can already be there. Now, obviously, it's a terrible thought to think that that's involved in war, as it sometimes is. But it's not only involved in war. It's also involved in peace. To the extent that the mission of the United States of America is good in the world, the aircraft carrier is there, that bit of sovereign territory for keeping the peace. Sometimes for seeking the lost, if you don't mind my using that term. Often they're involved in search and rescue. They're involved in patrol, always on watch, right? It occurred to me that in a certain way of looking at it, an aircraft carrier is a little like a local church because it is an outpost of whatever kingdom it represents. And that is what you are here. For the projection of power, whose power? The power of the Lord. Always on watch against the powers of this present age. You are here in the name of Christ the King to stand for what he stands for, to defend what he defends, to carry out the mission he's given you. An outpost of the kingdom that belongs to God. So what should that prompt in you? 
What should that prompt in you individually? What should that prompt in you as a group? Well, I think Jesus gives us the answer right here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, he said. Paul echoes him, for this reason I bow my knee. Of course he bows his knee. The Lord is the King, but he is our Father. That that power, that very same power that spoke the world into being, that raised Jesus from the dead, is now at work in you. And we pray that you have power to comprehend the love of God because this is your commission. This is your mission. You are now empowered to act on behalf of the one who rules in love to comprehend with all the saints the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of this great love. You're rooted in it. I know that resonates with you at Oak Church, that rootedness, but also grounded in it. It's your foundation. This is where you stand as an outpost of the kingdom. You're rooted and grounded in the love of the Father. And your response is to do what Jesus did, to share his love with everyone who needs it, and to worship to worship just like he did here. To say together, knowing that it's true, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So these words, they're so dear to us that we say over and over. Perhaps they sometimes lose some of their import because they are so familiar. If you will, I'd like for you to listen as I read to you a, a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer written by my, my friend, Dallas Willard. Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today. And forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way 
offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from anything bad. Because you are the one in charge. And you have all the power. And the glory, too, is all yours forever. Which is just the way we want it. Not a bad way to sum up the amen, is it? We agree with Jesus. This is just the way we want it. Pray with me. Our Father, Lord God, we are grateful to be able to address you as our Father. To know that you are good. To know that you reign in love. Lord, we ask for your grace that we may understand that love, that we may be transformed into people who will be able to stand your glory. And who will always be able to celebrate that you are our king. Father, we come to you in the name of your son. By the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.